Hello and welcome to episode number 319 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Sarah Morgan. There's a lot of Sarah in this podcast. Today we are going to talk to Sarah Morgan, who I have known for a while now and I've interviewed her on the podcast before. Her latest book, The Christmas Sisters, is out. So we talk about her latest novel and the strange vagaries of staggered releases for books, which happens very often to her titles between the U.S. and the U.K. and elsewhere. Because this is her 85th book, wow, we talk a good bit about writing, both the discipline and the routine she follows, as well as her strategies for setting and character. Here's a hint. Pick a real location and then make up the village or town yourself. Other writing tips she shares include where to find excellent details for making a setting realistic, how to choose the setting so it becomes an additional character, how the perspectives of writing Harlequin Presents, single title romance, and women's fiction is a lot like a camera lens, the empowerment of accepting one's own creative process and trusting one's editor, and the importance of routine and scheduling time for the writing and then the business of writing. I also have questions in this interview from podcast Patreon community members, and they are excellent questions. So thank you to Anne, Caroline, and Verity for your questions for this interview. This week's podcast and podcast transcript are brought to you by A Brand New Ending by Jennifer Probst, available for pre-order now from Montlake Publishing. If you like second chance romances, writer heroes, and wise but guarded heroines, you'll love this story of love rewritten from New York Times bestselling author Jennifer Probst. Ophelia Bishop was a love-struck teenage girl when she and Kyle Clinton chased their dreams to Hollywood. Kyle's dreams came true, but Ophelia's did not. When Kyle chose his career over their relationship, Ophelia returned home to rural New York to run the family's B&B, wiser and more guarded against foolish fantasies. Now Kyle has come crashing back into her life and all her defenses are down. Kyle can't think of a better place to write his latest screenplay than his hometown. After all, that was where he met the heart of his inspiration, his first love. He knows the damage that he caused Ophelia and he wants a chance to mend their relationship. If anyone can prove to Ophelia that happily ever afters aren't only for the movies, it should be him. As much as Ophelia's changed, she still has feelings for Kyle, but her heart has been broken before and she knows that Kyle could run back to Hollywood at any time. She gave up her dreams once. Maybe she can dare to change her own love story one last time. Readers who love smart dialogue and clever characters combined with emotional attempts to repair a story gone wrong will love A Brand New Ending by Jennifer Probst. It's available now for pre-order from Montlake Publishing. If you have supported the podcast with a monthly pledge at our Patreon, thank you so much. You're helping me ensure that each episode is transcribed, you keep the show going each week, and as this episode will show you, you help me develop questions for interviews that I have scheduled. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be so great if you did. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at a dollar a month, and everyone is deeply, deeply appreciated. I also want to thank some of the Patreon folks personally. So to Miriam, hi, Rosalinda, Amy, and Aaron, thank you for being part of the podcast community. Are there other ways to support the show? Yes, I bet you know where they are or what they are or how they are. Sing along if you know the words. Leave a review however or wherever you listen. 
Tell a friend, subscribe, however you get your podcast, which I learned recently, the apps that you listen to podcasts on are typically called pod catchers, which I find kind of charming. So whatever pod catcher you are using, if you leave a review or subscribe there, that helps other people discover the show. So thank you very much. Most of all, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. So the fact that you are listening to this one is very much appreciated. Thank you for allowing me to hang out with you in your eardrums. I will have information after the show about the music you are listening to. You get to hear me attempt to pronounce Scotch Gaelic. I'm not very good at it, but I do my best. I also will have a preview of what's coming up next week on Smart Pitches. Next week is going to be a very fun week. And I have a terrible joke and it's really bad and I love it so much. And I know a lot of you keep listening to the end just for the terrible jokes because you like them too. It's so great. As usual, I will have links to all of the books that we mention in this episode, as well as links to some of the things that we discuss, pictures, Instagram, links to posts that I've made, and some links to her previous podcast interviews as well. But that's all I have for the intro, so let's do a podcast. Shall we do that? Let us do that. On with the show. Well, I'm Sarah Morgan, um, and I live in England, as you can probably tell, near London. And I, my latest book is The Christmas Sisters, which came out in the US on Tuesday. Um, and for your UK listeners, it's coming out in the UK on November the 1st. And actually, this is the first time that the books come out in the US before the UK, which has created some consternation amongst my UK readers. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm, I thought that we usually get the, your books later. You do. Um, but this is quite exciting. It's US first. So yeah, it's quite exciting. And uh, next, the next book is actually almost simultaneous. So I consider that to be like real coup. They're about three days apart and I've never had it that close. So that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, it does help, you know, because when you're talking, you're talking about it. I'm talking about it now with US readers and UK readers are saying, oh, my God, don't want to wait a month for it. Yeah, <laughs> so It is quite difficult when there's a gap and, you know, vice versa as well. So I just I don't understand staggering releases around the world. Like they sometimes do that with movies. Yeah. I mean, I guess they look at, you know, they have to look at their individual schedules and what else yep. is on the shelf. I mean, I have to say that this is. You know, twenty September twenty fifth. Um, it's early for a Christmas book, but obviously the US take them at that time quite happily. I don't think the UK would take you know the retailers because obviously the stores have to agree to stock them. Mm -hmm. um, and over here, it would be unlikely that they would take them in September. It, it isn't a good time to have a Christmas book on the shelf. Although, you know, it's not really a Christmas, you know, it's a, it's a festive story and it's a winter story, uh, but it's not so heavily Christmas that, uh, you know, if Christmas isn't a thing for you, it wouldn't matter at all um, in this book. Good to know. Um, I, I can say that, oh gosh, I began seeing fall decorating supplies in August. And right. I'm sure the next time I go to Costco, I'll see Christmas trees and <laughs> Jesus. I love when I find Jesus in Costco. It makes me so amused. Like there'll be a big nativity, little nativity. Like I can buy Jesus at Costco. There's nothing more American than that. And do you get the music as well? Do you get like, oh. listening to Christmas carols and, you know, Christmas, oh. just Christmas songs from the middle of yes. September? 
Christmas can be very weird, right? It is weird. But you know, when you're a writer, we don't really have the season. So I, people people get say, oh, how can you celebrate Christmas in September? But the truth is that I'm writing this book um, completely out of season. You know, oh, you, right, like in the summer, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, not quite the summer. For me, I'm not almost always, and I've written loads, I've almost always start around November. Um, but I won't finish it till about March. So Christmas is well and gone by the time I'm, you know, the tree is down. And in fact, <laughs> in order to help myself feel Christmassy afterwards, I put together my little grotto with a fake Christmas tree and a little stuffed moose and a few things which I shove on my desk and I try and focus on that so that when the spring's out and the crocuses are in bud, I'm still looking at my little Christmas tree. <laughs> I think that's a very smart strategy. Well, you have to do whatever it takes to get yourself in the Christmas mood, don't you? Oh, great. It's 38 degrees Celsius today. Yeah. I think I'll write Christmas songs. Yay! Well, I was really lucky with this particular book because um, uh, at the end of March, we had, we don't get a lot of snow, really, as you know. Well, certainly not yeah. down south where I am. Um, they do in Scotland, which is why I set the book in Scotland. But we don't get a lot near London. And suddenly at the end of March, we had a massive fall of snow, which is really unusual. It's very late. And it was just perfect timing for me finishing off the book so (laughs) that that had been sent along specially to put me in the wintry mood (laughs) so tell me about the Christmas sisters who are the women in this book well um basically these these three sisters lost their parents in a climbing accident I'm really interested in mountains and climbing as you probably know because we've talked about hiking before and Mm -hmm. these three sisters lost their parents in a climbing accident when they were young and they were adopted by their mother's best friend And she has always wanted to sort of make life the best it can be for them, Um, but it's not that easy. And the one time all three, and they're grown up now, these girls, though they're not little, they're they're adults. The one time they all get together is at Christmas. Um, And the mother, Suzanne, wants it to be perfect, as most people do. They have really high expectations of Christmas. And of course, (laughs) or or indeed any family gathering or celebration, it doesn't just have to be Christmas. And the girls each find it a really difficult time of year. So when they get together, it's very complicated. Um, And the three heroines are really quite different. And one of the things that I've explored in the book, really, is how the same event has had a completely different impact on the three girls. Obviously, they were different ages, um, you know, when they lost their parents, but also the relationship with their parents was different. So the eldest, Hannah, um, she's a real workaholic. And the last thing she wants is to go home because she really tries to detach from all the family stuff. And then the middle sister, Beth, is married and she has two young children, but she desperately wants to go back to work and is feeling a bit of that maternal guilt about, you know, should she leave them? Is it okay to go back to work? And how does she kind of divide herself into two pieces, I should say? Mm-hmm. Um, and the youngest one, Posy, is the only one who does actually still live in Scotland at home. And she's she doesn't even really remember the incident. Um, so she, of, of all of them, she's probably the least affected, but she is very conscious of how how much her her adoptive mother, who is who is her mother, you know, it, I mean, Suzanne is undoubtedly the mother here. Um, she's very conscious of, you know, how much how much effort she's put in. She feels such loyalty and love towards her and gratitude for everything that, you know, the home that she's given them and the life. And so she's actually really um, squashing down her own needs a bit, really, to sort of please her mother. So she's got her own issues bubbling along as well. Um, but then there's a lot of sibling tension <laughs> and a lot of humor. I hope there's a lot of humor as well when the three of them um, get together. So this book is set in the Scottish Highlands. It is. It is. And, you know, um, picking a setting for my Christmas book, and I say it like that because I, I do a Christmas book every year. And I, this must be about my, tw- and, and there have been years when I've done 
a couple. So I think this must be about my 20th Christmas book. And it's always a challenge because it has to be somewhere with global appeal, you know, because my books do sell really well globally, you know, in the European countries, well, all over the place. So it has to be somewhere that feels lovely and wintry and festive that everyone um, wants to go to. You know, I, I set um, Slaybells in the Snow in Vermont and everybody's emailing me saying, where is this exact place? And so it has to be um, a place that really is a dream destination for people. And of course, everybody does know Scotland. You know, it's it's really popular and not just since series like Outlander and The Crown. Um, I think Scotland has always had this sort of romantic uh, image as a dream destination and indeed for good reason, you know. Um, I went there on my honeymoon, actually. We went to the high really? I did. Yeah, there's a little personal fact. You don't often get those personal details from me, do you? Yeah, we did. We went to the Highlands on our honeymoon because we love walking and, you know, generally being outdoors. And I'd read an article, actually, in a travel magazine uh, where a journalist had said that this particular part of Scotland uh, was one of her three favourite places in the world. And I thought, oh, that's quite an endorsement. So, you know, we decided to um, explore that area and it was absolutely beautiful. You know, I mean, it really is absolutely beautiful. So it was really a great setting for a book. And the setting, um, it is it is the Highlands, but I always make the actual village. Uh, I make that up. I don't have somewhere mm-hmm. specific. Otherwise, you're really quite restricted as a, you know, if, for example, if I want to have a library and I pick a proper place, somebody's going to write to me and say, oh, the library shut a decade ago, you know, and, right. and by the way, the pub is never open on a Saturday and oh, yeah, that would be a miserable village. <laughs> but somebody will know a place. And I think it's better if everybody comes to it fresh without, you know, preconceived ideas about what a place is like. So although it's the Highlands, the actual village where this book is set is um, is, is made up, fictitious, so that I can actually play with it in any way I like. <laughs> so what were some of the elements that made this place unique? Like, what did you do to make it clear that it was the Highlands? What elements did this setting have that some of your other books didn't? Well, I think the village atmosphere, and this is very interesting because um, we went we we went on our honeymoon and then we went back actually to the same place last year. Well, we did a slightly bigger a slightly bigger vacation, but um, we went back virtually to the same place. And this time, because I knew I was setting a book there, I really paid attention to the local communities in the village. And it's fascinating. For example, um, you go into the village shop, and there really is only one shop, and it sells absolutely everything you would need. Uh, And you look at the notice board and I spent about an hour reading this notice board because it can tell you so much about village life. You know, you know, the elderly people, the bus will run at 4 p.m., you know, to to bring you to the shop. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to use that in my book, that that kind of thing. You know, you look at you look at what they're advertising on the on the village notice board and you get a real snapshot of, of village life. It's it's fascinating. So those I wanted to give the impression of this sort of community feeling. Because I think in the winter in Scotland, in these small villages, you there really is a community feeling. You do have to rely on each other. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's that's quite a genuine thing. We're not in the middle of Edinburgh. We're not in a city. Uh, I, I wanted it to be out in the middle of nowhere because I need to write the sort of Christmas book that has the feel um, that people want, that wintry feel. You need snow. You need tree you know beautiful forest you need mountains I needed mountains because my youngest heroine um you know is a mountain is a mountain guide and a climbing instructor so I had to have that close by and of course that's that's all right there on your doorstep um 
And the place is just totally steeped in history, of course. You know, you drive through Glencoe and you can, I don't know, you can sort of feel the ghosts. I think it's it's quite a ghostly place, but also absolutely stunning. Um, Yeah, so I pulled all sorts of things from looking at notice boards and actually, you know, sort of walking around uh, Scottish villages. I remember recently have you ever seen this is actually a british tv show that i watched illegally beg your pardon it wasn't ever released <laughs> here in the states like i can't even get dvds of it um to, that will play in american players but did you ever watch great canal journeys i think i saw a couple of them because there have been more than one there have been several all yes, over the place. several yes. so it was timothy west and prunella scales and they have long narrow canal boats yes. they did one where they crossed Scotland from one side to the other and I was like everything in this television show is porn it's like nature porn like when you go when you go up like when you went on your vacation did you just sort of hang out the window like that I can't believe I'm seeing this with my eyeballs because it's it's unlike anything I've seen before absolutely amazing I mean the scenery is just stunning I, I mean stunning and so varied um, no, I, I mean, it's absolutely stunning. And there's, you know, there are wonderful routes around. I didn't see the cana- that canal one, actually. I've seen others because they've been, we've got loads of canals here. And it's a, it's quite a fun holiday, providing you don't pick a route with millions of locks, because then you yes. have to keep jumping off the boat and heaving. Opening, yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. Heaving locks open and closing them again. And yeah, and I'm very clumsy, so I'd probably fall in. Uh, yeah exactly no I didn't see the Scottish one but you know they've got the sort of cycling routes now right I think it's called route 500 right around the coast the you know the north Mm -hmm. coast and I mean I absolutely love it I I would really love to go up there for a month and drive really far north do and do more of the northern I you know the islands that are more northerly because I've done the the, yeah exactly I've done the sort of inner Hebrides but I'd love to do much further north and Cape Roth and you know, really, um, yeah, wild scenery. I think it would be fabulous. One of the questions I have from my uh, Patreon community is from Anne, and she wanted to know, how do you pick the places to do a series? You've, you've been in Vermont, New York City, Puffin Island in Maine, now Scotland, and you've definitely done London and other cities. Mm-hmm. How do you pick the places to set a book or a series? Yeah, well, that is a really good question. Hello, Anne. Um, a really good question. And it is uh, quite tricky because I am trying to find somewhere that means something to most people. So I don't really want to set a book somewhere and have half the readers who read it think, I don't even know where that is. I can't imagine it. So for example, my next book, you're right, I have done Manhattan. And of course, the other, the other thing is I want a setting that's going to add to the story that I'm writing. Um, so a setting is really you know, another character. I've done well, a setting's another character. And you know you've done it well when people write to you saying, I really want to go there. You know, where is it? Uh, the best, the yes. place. And I get a lot of that, you know, especially with Vermont. And Manhattan, you know, I get loads of people saying, oh, I'm going to Manhattan and I've taken your books. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that works out okay. But of course, somewhere like Manhattan gives you so much scope for different sorts of stories because, oh, um, yeah. you know, the different um, neighbourhoods of Manhattan are so different. Uh, and, and my next book set in Paris because Paris, again, is somewhere that everybody immediately has their own idea of Paris. So I think, I think the answer is I try and pick somewhere that I think my readers are going to love. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's fun to write in a destination that you might want to encourage people to visit. And, exactly. And exactly. Showing how much the characters yeah. love where they are. Exactly. And it, it does have like, to have relevance to the story. I mean, obviously it has to fit 
um, with the story. Uh, but but yeah, the setting is very important. But I do try and find somewhere that will work, I think, for all readers, you know, everywhere. You were writing Harlequin Presents, then single title, and now you're writing what I know in the States is typically called women's fiction. Does that sound yeah. about right? Yeah, that sounds right. And and they call it here, they call it the same thing um, here as well. Uh, I don't know why it has to be women's fiction. You know, nobody right. has men's fiction, but... Uh, I call anyway. it dick lit. Yeah, it is. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is called that. And that's exactly how... Yeah, how we look at it. And I think really it's just about looking at broader relationships um, than, than romance. So the Christmas Sisters is there's a lot of sibling relationship and in there um, as well as romance. You know, it's so just a slightly broader look at relationships, really. That was actually my question. When you look at presents versus single title versus women's fiction, is it sort of like zooming out yeah. and including more in more people, more relationships, more setting, more of everything? Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, I think with the series books, um, it's very much a close, close up, um, zoom lens, as you say. And it's very much the focus is on the, the, um, two leads, whether it's hero and heroine or whatever, hero, hero. It is, um, very much on the two leads and you don't see much around it. So you don't really get to see them interacting with other people in different parts of their lives. It's really very much the focus on their relationship and the journey that they each go through together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the single title books and the women's fiction just take a much broader view. And that's interesting to me because, of course, people behave differently in different areas of their life, um, different aspects of their life. You know, they might be one thing at work and something completely different at home. You might be one thing with your sister and something completely different with your mother. And that fascinates me, the way that people, you know, react differently to different people. I think it tells you a lot about character. I think it makes... It gives the opportunity to write, to put more depth in the characters and to just include more complexity, really. And I'm really enjoying that at this stage. And plus, you write more family relationships and um, friendships. There's more, I mean, especially in Presents, the the, the format and the word count is so tight. There's not a lot of room for a lot of people in there. There isn't because you you really want to get that relationship, you know, the relationship, the intensity of the relationship front and center. So you don't really want a lot of other stuff or it detracts from the intensity of the relationship. And that mm-hmm. is the focus of the story. So that's the very nature of it. You don't really want anything else um, to detract from that. Anne also asked me uh, or asked you rather, was it difficult going from writing shorter length Harlequin to longer length series and then standalone novels? Um, do you know, it wasn't really because I really wanted to do it. I was so ready to do it. And obviously I was nervous. I was scared I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, but I suppose it's been a step thing for me. You know, I did the series first, which mm-hmm. did have, um, you know, I still had the friendships, but it's, but very much the focus was on one hero and heroine for me in those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's, it's broader again. And it is, I suppose it's slightly harder to keep track of everything you have to make sure that you've not dropped any loose ends that you've followed all the characters but I really I'm I really enjoy it as well so it did feel different but um well I've done three and it's been okay so touch wood I'm not about to dry up <laughs> I hope not now I've said that I'm worried <laughs> well Carolyn asked me or maybe it's Caroline if I'm saying it wrong I apologize first I love Sarah Morgan. Yay. Oh, hi, Caroline. Thank you. I love you back. <laughs> <laughs> her, 
her Harlequin Presents are some of my favorites, particularly Lost to the Desert Warrior and Playing by the Greek's Rules. Oh. I wonder if she will do any more writing for Harlequin Presents or if you're only focusing on longer length novels for now. Do you know, that's so funny because Lost to the Desert Warrior was one of, I started, it, it's one of my, so off the wall and I started it and I said to my editor, oh, what am I doing? This book's just such complete fantasy and you know I think it's probably one of my most popular books it's hilarious (laughs) it really is and then playing by the Greeks rules I wrote a series called Puffin Island um as as part of my my second single title was Puffin Island and I wanted to do a presents that linked with it so that's what playing by the Greeks rules is because it was really nice for me to have that shorter form as well including some of the characters at the moment I don't have any plans to write more but um you know, I don't really have long, long, long-term plans. I just like to do what I'm doing now. And I will definitely be doing more um, women's fiction. I don't think at the moment I've got the capacity to do any more presents, so I don't have any plans. But I would certainly wouldn't ever say I will never do another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the moment, no, no plans. But I do have a backlist of about 85 books. <laughs> I was going to say, I yeah. presents with your names on them. So I don't think readers are short. Yeah, I, I think I wrote about 30 presents. So I, you know, I've got quite a few out there. So they can perhaps pick through the others while they're waiting for you to write another one. <laughs> Verity asked actually a question that relates to something you just said. Uh, she said that one of my favorite things is to get glimpses of previous happily ever afters in the sequels. Mm. Are you ever tempted to drop couples from one series or even from, from presents into other books like you did with uh, Puffin Island and Greek's Rules? Mm. Uh, not with presents because Puffin Island was the last one that I did. Mm-hmm. So I basically haven't had the you know facility to do it again. But I've certainly dropped previous characters it for example I did six books set in Manhattan and the final book in Manhattan they all go to Snow Crystal which was my first series set in Vermont and they all go there for a wedding so you see some of the characters from that so I like doing that that's fun Um, and certainly in my series books I've done that a little and in in the first three Manhattan books, the girls actually grew up on Puffin Island. I sort of took the opposite view. So the first series, um, the people, the, the three heroines on Puffin Island just absolutely loved that island life. And then for Manhattan, I took three girls who'd grown up there and thought, get me out of here. You know, I don't want to live here. Get me into the city. So I sort of looked, took the opposite view. So they are, they are sort of slightly linked. Uh, the women's fictions are not. They're completely standalone completely standalone each one so there's not going to be just like a, a random Dukakis's apprentice character like hey how you doing no <laughs> no I, she not. was probably one of my favorites of your heroines oh. because she just had such a, an, an yeah. interesting sense of Holly. self yeah, yeah she just yeah <laughs> she just was is she one of my favorite things about characters in general is when they are confidently who they are yeah and I love that about her she was fun to write, actually. That whole book was fun, actually. Yeah. Because that was the beginning of that hot desk. You know, when yes. you know, in the old days, you used to have a desk at work. And then the fashion changed and companies were saving money. So they did this hot desk thing where you just sat wherever there was space. And I, yeah. that's what I put in that because it was just, at the time, it was such a radical thing. And, I, you know, I had 
I knew people who were sort of keeping all their stuff in their boot because they still need to, in their, sorry, trunk. You would say the trunk yes. of their car because That's they right, need. I'm bilingual yeah. when it comes yeah. to car parts. <laughs> I'm watching a baking show. But readers who are not bilingual will be thinking, oh, what? They took their shoes off. And they, <laughs> they had they had textbooks and things in, the, in their in their shoes. No, they kept it in the trunk of their car because they had so much stuff that they would have liked to have kept on the desk and they weren't given one. So that was what I was addressing in that um, that story. And it still makes me laugh, actually, the hot desking. Yeah. Of course, it's common now. Everybody yes. Now. Yeah. now, you have had a, a sort of unique, singular experience that you've been consistently working with the same editor for many, many years now. Is that yeah. right? Well, I ha- I've been very lucky, very lucky with my editors, actually. Um, the editor that I have now, Flo, who is absolutely fantastic, I have had her since um actually funny enough lost to the desert warrior we did that presents and then i moved to doing single title so we did 12 single titles another presents um and we've done three women's fiction so yeah a lot she's she's great and before that i had um another fabulous editor kim and we did 47 books together series you know so i've been really lucky so i think i've been with flo for five years i think the two of us have been together for five years and it's great because um oh you know we know each other so well she knows my writing um i trust her completely and she's absolutely fantastic so, you know, she picks up things that I wouldn't have seen. And it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. I am so lucky. I think a great editor, a great editor is an, is a writer's best friend. Isn't he? <laughs> so how do you work with the editorial process? Like, what is your process like working with Flo? Oh, my process is really messy, but um, she's got used to that now and I've got used to it too. <laughs> for, years, for years, I tried to change it. You know, you think, oh, there has to be a better way to do this. So you look at what everyone else is doing and you try and do that and you realize it just doesn't work. And at the end of the day, it's a creative process and you have to do, you know, what works for you. And I do have an outline. You know, have to produce an outline, um, rough outline, but I don't always stick to it. And for me, all the best ideas come as I write. You know, I mm-hmm. start to hear the characters' voices as I'm writing. And what I tend to do with Flo, um, I do send her, so I'll send her about a third of the book and say, what do you think? Because she'll always come up with some really smart observations. And then that way I'm not, I could never write the entire book and then send it to her because I would have, you know, gone down a dead end somewhere and then I'd be rewriting 110,000 words instead of, you know, editing 30. And that way, so so I will send her a chunk, um, I mean, a fairly large chunk, and then we'll have a chat, uh, which is always really fun. She's excellent at brainstorming ideas and we'll talk about, you know, the characters. And then I'll work on that and send her the next third. So I guess she probably gets it in three three chunks, really. So that by the time we get to the end, uh, you know, we've pretty much discussed the whole book, really. It's a pro- I think every writer is different. It's a process that works for us. I know plenty of writers who wouldn't dream of showing their work to anyone before it was completely finished. Uh, but, you know, tr- Flo's fabulous. I trust her and she's, she's wonderful at, at seeing things. So, you know, I, I'd be stupid not to use her brain. <laughs> <laughs> and when you work together that long, you build up a sort of a, a trust that you can work with someone through a process that is so difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I'd find it really scary being an editor. You know, you get sometimes you get a really, really rough piece of work. And how do you how are you not awake at night thinking, oh, is she ever going to be able to turn this into something that anyone's going to want to read? <laughs> and is she going to do it on the deadline? You know, I'm, I'm, I'd be awake the whole time, but Flo's very relaxed. <laughs> That's lovely. That's a good thing to have. With your current projects, does your research also involve looking at family relationships and different uh, family problems? Because you haven't been writing those in in the more focused books. Now you're sort of zooming out to include everybody's problems. Yeah. Yeah, What are some things that you've been researching? Yeah. Well, the book that I've just finished, literally just finished, um, is called One Summer in Paris. And that's next year's book, the one that's almost simultaneous publication in April. And the basic story is that uh, the main the the heroine is one of the heroines is Grace and she's in her late forties and she's celebrating her twenty fifth wedding anniversary. She's booked this amazing trip to Paris. She's really excited, excited, and then her husband tells her that he wants a divorce. So she goes to Paris anyway uh, because she's paid for the holiday and because um, it seems like a good idea. And there she meets up with um, an 18-year-old British girl. So Grace is American. She meets up with an 18-year-old British girl who's escaping really difficult um, home problems. So this book deals with sort of um, uh, alcohol dependence and and what it's like growing up um, with that. But also a lot of the research that I did, and so obviously Grace's husband, sorry, has had an affair, but I did an awful lot of research on that and looked at a lot of, you know, marital therapies talking about you know, whether how you forgive an affair, or maybe you can't forgive an affair. So yeah, I was, I I do do a lot of research on that. And also actually a lot of research about what it's like um, growing up as a child of, you know, um, somebody with alcohol issues. So that too. So yeah, I am researching quite a lot. Yeah. But I've, I've often done that, you know, because I read a lot of medical romances. And um, so I often had that type of research, you know, looking at different medical conditions. And, um, but yeah, not the sort of deep, deep problems that I'm perhaps looking at now. So what is your daily routine as a writer? I know you have a very cool shed in your backyard. I'm presuming you're there now. I'm not actually because I don't have an internet connection down there because I wouldn't That's do why anything. you have the shed. That's the- yeah. <laughs> So that's where I closet myself when I want to write and I'm not tempted by the internet. I can't be tempted because I can't get onto the internet. <laughs> Can I so include no, pictures I'm- of your of your shed from yeah. your Instagram in the show notes? Yeah, I will definitely put some pictures because it's very yeah. cute. It is cute. It's right down the bottom of the garden and it's great because, you know, I just have squirrels and birds and my little favorite robin comes and sits. Uh, it's it's really lovely, actually. It's very peaceful. Yeah. And that's where you write with no internet, no phone. Yeah. Well, nothing. I do have my phone these days because things have got very busy, but I don't, I don't tend to look at it. You know, I try and make myself concentrate for spaces of time before I look at my phone. But no, I don't, I don't have internet. So if I want to do research, that has to be done separately. So, you know, I do try and focus on the words and I am better doing that usually in the morning. Um, but I, I end up working pretty long hours, really, as I think most writers do. So what is your routine like? So my routine is that I will get down to the office uh, first thing um, and I will, yeah, write, often read what I did before. Um, and then often in the afternoons, I will try and focus on uh, you know any blogs or interviews that I'm supposed to be doing, promotion. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a... Um, there will be a lot going on, actually, because I'm published in, you know, a lot in Europe. So I might have interviews for like tomorrow I'm flying to Sweden. Um, so I'm going to the Swedish Book Fair. And cool. The 
Frankfurt for the Frankfurt Book Fair. And then the week after that, I'm in at Turn the Page Bookstore. Yay! <gasps> so, you know, that kind of thing's busy. So, uh, But I do get an awful lot from the European people as well to do. So, you know, and sometimes I'll make a video for Brazil. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I really love having a global readership because my readers are so warm and friendly. And, um, you know, you talk about Instagram. I think Instagram is very global. I do you know, I hear from a lot of readers on, on Instagram, they'll message me and it's, it's a really great um, way of staying in touch. Uh, so my day, I suppose, is a bit messy, you know, because at the end of the day, I think very few writers get huge chunks of time where they can just write because there's so many other things to do as well. You know, I might be looking at covers or talking about titles and, you know, promo plans um, for a lot of different countries. So it's not, it's not even just the US and the UK. So it is pretty right. busy, but I'm very there's lucky. The- yeah, there's like the writing part and then the business part. Yeah, there is. And, you know, really truthfully, I could make a full-time job out of the business part. So oh, it's easy for it to creep into everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think really, you know, and I love talking to readers, so I don't cut that back. You know, I, I, I talk to readers a lot on Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, obviously that takes time as well. Um, but I love that. I love that. Just, I have lovely readers and they're so friendly and, and warm. And it's great. It's such a privilege to hear from people just all over, you know, really. Uh, it's great. Uh, so yeah, it's very busy. I mean, I do work most days. Um, and most writers can't switch off anywhere, you know, even when you're not actually at the computer, you're thinking about your characters. So mm-hmm. that's something that you tend to not be able to turn off even when you're supposedly not working. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I call it the crock pot in the back of my brain. It's always yeah. doing something. That's right. That's it exactly. <laughs> So what are some of your favorite reader responses or reader comments that you've received? What are some things that you just really, really enjoyed? Oh, well, I do love it when a book has, obviously, absolutely, you love it when somebody said that they, they've really enjoyed your book. But for example, um, Moonlight Over Manhattan, last Christmas, which was my last Christmas book, um, the, the heroine Harriet had this thing where she she tried to do one thing that scared her every single day challenge she called it challenge Harriet and I had so many letters from readers saying that it had inspired them to actually force them to do a few things and one woman who hadn't left her house for three months because she was you know really um well you know afraid of leaving the house something had happened and she saw that and she thought I'm just going to do what Harriet does and just try and do a tiny bit each day and so she did yeah that was really yeah I know I have I get quite sobby sometimes when I read my messages and then other people who you know say that they've been all night in intensive care by their you know dad or something and that you know my book kept them company and kept them going and we've all been there I mean you know I mm-hmm. use reading as a comfort as well I'm sure you do oh, so yeah. you know it's it's nice but those are the sort of you know when it's really meant something to someone um those are the sort of letters that are extra special I think it strikes me that that's one of the sort of foundational elements of your characters that there's always one thing that they are deliberately working on mm. And they, yeah, well, they now you are, say that, you might be right, but I'd never thought of it before. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're always, there is always something about your characters that they are working on in themselves. Like the, the changes that they go through the, through, through the story aren't always just about, you know, meeting a person or connecting with a person, but they're also always confronting or challenging themselves in some way. Mm. Is that yeah. something you do too? Or is that a way of building character through a practice? You perhaps do do it now you mention it. It's one of those funny things you, you know, people talk to you about how you write. You think, oh, I don't know, really. I just sit down and do it. (laughs) But but I know, I just sit down and do it. And I don't really want to question it in case looking at it, it stops happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know that fear. I know, you don't want to think about 
how you ride a bike because you're going to fall off it. <laughs> yeah, don't don't look too closely. This could this could this could end badly if you look too yeah, examine it too exactly. too closely. Exactly. Oh yeah. Well, now you mention it, I think I do do that with characters actually. Yes. And do I do it in myself? Uh, well, maybe a little. I don't know. I'm not as disciplined as I would like to be, so maybe not really. <laughs> she I, says, I'm full of good ideas, and then I lapse. <laughs> Yes, she's not that disciplined, she says, after having written 80 plus well, yeah. books. Sure, I'm disciplined <laughs> in that. You can be disciplined in one area of your life. Yeah, not in another. Yeah, that's right. This is my 85th book, I think, Christmas Sisters. Whoa, dude, seriously, congratulations. Yeah, it is. And actually, I've just delivered another one, so that's 86. Although 85 Damn. published. 85 published. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, I'm very lucky. You're like the, the Anthony Trollope of romance. <laughs> Although quite 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 a bit um, more uh, emotionally deft, I think. Oh, well, Although I am so. saying, I my grandmother wanted me to read for years um, Barchester Towers, which is her favorite or was her favorite of Trollope's books, and she lent me a copy. And the text side was, was so small, I was um, like, I, I can't read this. Then I found it on audiobook. I'm having the best time. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're great actually. I haven't listened to it in audio, but uh, yeah, I've had it on enlarged font on Kindle. Yeah, right. I can't read that. Who? I hate who these tiny, I know. What? I can't I read this. I often find that with the classics, actually, that the print is tiny. I don't right? know why they do that. Why do they do I, that? I cannot. I am so grateful when I can find them digitally or, or mm. audio. Mm. Even better is a good performance. I love audio. Yeah. If, the, if Well, but you do have to like the narrator, don't you? Oh, yes. Absolutely. There are some narrators where I'm just like, yeah, uh, no, can't do that. No. So you mentioned earlier that you have an outline um, and that you work in the morning. Do you have a daily word count that you're trying to hit, or do you have like a, an, a, an arc of the plot that you're trying to reach? You do you have goals when you sit down? I do have goals. Um, I do have goals, and then I always miss them. <laughs> 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 I have daily goals, but I've learned that I have to be flexible because things do happen. Things do come in that I have Life to deal happens. with, and I don't want to be stressed the whole time. So I tend to aim more for a weekly goal. So you know, if Monday gets blown to pieces, then it doesn't matter because I've got you know Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. As long as I'm, I think I, that is one of the advantages of experience. I can look at a period of time and know whether that's enough for me to handle it you know and just Mm -hmm. allow some bad days that's okay too um so I think that's where experience comes in so yes in theory I have daily goals um but it's the weekly goal that's more important because that will tell me that I'm pretty much on track to where I want to be that creates a more sort of supportive environment for yourself I I imagine as well that if you have a weekly goal you can be flexible about what days you're working on those goals yeah and I don't I just don't want to have that panic of thinking oh no you know I was supposed to do x number of words today and I haven't done it you know there's nothing worse than constantly feeling in a great panic and uh yeah I mean in 86 books I've never once missed a deadline although now I've said that I'm obviously going to miss my next deadline No, I think I, I will. Think I will. I think it's you figured a lot of it out. It's okay. Fine, I will take the blame. But I think you've got you've got the system worked out pretty well at this point. I think you're doing okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, are there any challenges with your writing or with future books that you are really itching to to take on? I know you look at the book that you're working on right now, and you look at the the thing that the project that's in front of you. But are there things that are sort of in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, I really want to write about that. I really want to try to do that. Mm. I mean, the, the the bigger women's fiction books are still quite new to me. So I'm still 
finding it challenging in a fun way. People use challenging as a euphemism, don't they, for, oh, my gosh, this is really awful. We're going through challenging times. No, but I, I'm not using it as a euphemism for really awful. It is, it is um, challenging, but in a really, really fun way. I think I get bored quite easily, so I like to write different things. I, mm-hmm. I have to write different things. And for me, this still feels sufficiently different. Um, are there actual particular topics? No, because I tend to focus exactly on what I'm writing next and don't think any further because I find that that just gives me a really messed up brain if I've got loads of ideas flying around inside. So I try, if I have more ideas, I just scribble them down and try and forget them and focus on the one that I'm developing uh, next. That makes sense. Have you ever looked at an idea you scribbled down and been like, what was I talking about? Yeah. What does that even say? Yeah. I've yeah. started a book and thought this is not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes an idea can look fine, but it's not enough to sustain a book, particularly when you're writing bigger books with, you know, mm-hmm. more depth and complexity. Um, you've got to have some stuff there. It can't all be. So, so, so sometimes what looks like an idea, a good idea uh, is not. But quite often I'll start a book and I'll say, why did I think this was a good idea? And that's where you need an editor, you see, because she'll say, because it is a good idea. <laughs> right. What have you read that you would like to tell people about? Are there any books you'd like to uh, to talk about? Well, I've been going through a bit of a thriller phase, actually. I was supposed to say I read nothing but women's fiction, but I read quite widely. Um, uh, and I've I just finished. I love Karen Slaughter. I think she's really great because um, obviously some of them are a bit, um, a little bit gory, but her characterization is fantastic. And, you know, you really care about the characters. And so that really pulls you in. She's fantastic. So I've just read Pieces of Her, which is her latest one. Ooh. And um, yeah, I know. I really enjoy I think Karen Slaughter is really excellent. Um, and I read in the same vein of thrillers. I, I, I did a trip actually to Toronto and they gave me all these um, proofs. So, you know, for the, for the books coming up, I, I read Elisa Unger as well, Under My Skin. That's another thriller. That was brilliant. She's a really excellent writer. And I just finished Rayanne Thane's Season of Wonder because just, you know, that's um, really nice. It's her first sort of trade book, I think. But nobody does the season like Rayanne. So um, she's really great. And, and I've written some, I've read, read some nonfiction as well. Um, I read a, climb, a couple of climbing books, you know, um, autobiographies. So that was interesting so yeah I do and I'm also reading a Christmas cookery book (laughs) I know isn't that strange but but it's a it's a book um I don't know do you have Nigel Slater in in them does Nigel Slater come to America I'm not sure I may he may just be mostly focused on the UK but anyway he wrote um a, a Christmas book last year it's it's um called the Christmas Chronicles I think and it's about far more than recipes but I'm trying to get myself I'm about to start my next Christmas book so I'm trying to get myself in a Christmassy mood so I've you're been, right on yeah, time I've been flicking through that as well so all sorts of things really what have you That's read lately that you've completely loved well let me see um I started listening like I said to Barchester Towers I have a a habit that I am trying to teach myself not to work all the time or at least look mm-hmm. at work all the time and it's easy when it's you know, it's on your phone and it's on your mm. computer. It's, when you when you do so much working with with technological interconnectivity, it's really easy to just work all the time. So I've been um, listening to audiobooks and cross stitching. I actually found because I didn't realize this, cross stitching is much bigger where you are than it is over here in the states. And you have these giant, massive, glossy, expensive magazines full of patterns, and Gosh, like it I would didn't be, even know that it would be. Like $150 for me to import some of these magazines, but I discovered my library has digital access. So I'm reading all of these wonderful British cross-stitching magazines on my tablet 
and stitching the patterns um, because the floss colors are the same across yeah. the pond. So I listen to audiobooks and I cross stitch. It's actually very meditative. One act for the color. Yeah, One act for the color. And I'm also reading a book called The Life Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, I've got that on my shelf. I love this book so far. I'm enjoying uh, it so much. I need to read it because I have got that on my shelf. It yeah. is. I listened to a, an interview with the author, Sarah Knight, on a podcast recently, and it was a very short interview, maybe like 28 minutes. And I've listened to it twice because I was like, oh, yes, I really needed to hear this. I really needed to hear this. And the idea that you have a, you, you have a limited amount of energy and a li- limited amount, basically, of fucks in your budget. And you have to think about the things that you're going to care about and the things that you're going to give your energy to. And I'm like, I really needed to hear this right mm, now. Mm. So I'm really, really enjoying it. It oh, is. Sounds excellent. Well, I need to read it then because I have got it. I just haven't opened it yet. I hope you'll let me know what you think. I, I really will. enjoyed this book. I will. So oh, that's far. good. It sounds like I need it because I, I give an F bleep. About far yeah. too many things. <laughs> yeah. And the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? I don't think I want to care about that. No, exactly. And I'm is it going to matter that. in five years? Ooh. Yeah. I mean, at this point, everything, every day, the news here especially is such a dumpster fire oh, that yeah. I'm sort of like, you know, there's a lot of things that I need to like go caring about in order yeah. to have the energy to care about the things that really are important. Yeah, exactly. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Sarah Morgan for hanging out with me and answering all my nosy questions. And thank you to Anne, Caroline, and Verity. Caroline, I hope I am pronouncing your name correctly. And if I'm not, I am sorry. Thank you for being part of the Patreon community. And thank you for your very excellent questions. If you want to find out more about Sarah Morgan, you can find her on her website at sarahmorgan.com. And if you would like to see pictures of her writing shed, it is super cute and charming. She is on Instagram at Sarah Morgan Writes, and that's Sarah with an H. I will have links to those two sources, plus all of the books we mentioned in the showcase, showcase, in the showcase showdown on the Price is Right. No, that is not right. In the show notes, the podcast show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. Jeez. <laughs> this is going to be a fun outro. This week's podcast and transcript are brought to you by a brand new ending by Jennifer Probst, available for pre-order now from Montlake Publishing. If you like second chance romances, writer heroes, and wise but guarded heroines, you will love this story of love rewritten from New York Times bestselling author Jennifer Probst. Ophelia Bishop was a love-struck teenage girl when she and Kyle Kimpton chased their dreams to Hollywood. Kyle's dreams came true, Ophelia's did not. When Kyle chose his career over their relationship, Ophelia returned home to rural New York to run the family's B&B, wiser and more guarded against foolish fantasies. Now, Kyle has come crashing back into her life and all her defenses are down. Kyle can't think of a better place to write his latest screenplay than his hometown. After all, that was where he met the heart of his inspiration, his first love. He knows the damage he's caused Ophelia and he wants a chance to mend their relationship. If anyone can prove to Ophelia that happy ever afters aren't only for the movies, it should be him. As much as Ophelia's changed, she still has feelings for Kyle, but her heart has been broken before, and she knows that Kyle could run back to Hollywood at any time. She gave up her dreams once, but maybe she can dare to change her own love story one last time. Readers who love smart dialogue and clever characters combined with emotional attempts to repair a story gone wrong will love... A Brand New Ending by Jennifer Probst. It's available for pre-order now from Montlake Publishing. We have a podcast Patreon. 
As I'm sure you heard, Patreon community folks helped me shape the questions for this interview. Thank you again. If you'd like to have a look, it is patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1. And if you pledge, you become part of the group who helps me make sure that every episode is transcribed. You help me keep the show going and you help me develop questions for future interviews, which is really fun. Thank you again to everyone who has supported the show. Are there other ways to support the show? Absolutely. You can leave a review. You can subscribe. You can tell a friend. You can yell out the window. You can tell your cat. Cats, I hear, are big fans of the show. And if you're hanging out with me each week while you do your things, I am honored that you hang out with me. And whatever it is that you're doing, especially if you're on the treadmill or the elliptical or doing something really strenuous, keep going. You've totally got this. Thank you for hanging out with me each week. The music you're listening to is from Pete Bog Fairies. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater. She's on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. And the Peat Bog Fairies are on their website, peatbogfairies.com. This album is called Dust. This track is called Avin Anachar. I hope I said that right. That was Gaelic, a language I do not speak. Scots Gaelic specifically, I think, is I have to specify. So this is Avin Anachar. And you can find more information about this track on the Peat Bog website, at Amazon, or on iTunes, or wherever you get your funky music. Coming up on the website this week, it is Halloween and fall week, and it's going to be so fun. This was entirely Amanda's idea, and it's super cool. She did all this awesome idea generation, and then she just made something awesome out of it. So here we go, Halloween and fall week. We have a new edition of Redheaded Girls Historical Kitchen, and then we have a post of fall flavors paired with recommended books. You get to find out what my absolutely most deepest favorite herbal tea flavor is, and I'm not really a tea drinker, so... This was as much a surprise to me as it is to anyone else who knows that I don't like tea. I like this tea, and I pair it with a book. Plus, we are going to have knitting and cross-stitching patterns to share, book reviews, links, fall reading recommendations, cover snark, and more. Plus, books on sale every day, so I hope you come hang out with us at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. And if you're looking for any of the books that we talked about in this episode, they will also be at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And now it is time for the terrible joke. Are you ready? This comes to me and then to you from Katie L. And Katie L. wrote, I'm a longtime lurker and occasional commenter. My sister sent me a bad joke that made me laugh, and I immediately thought of your podcast. I also love the bad jokes. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for all you and the other smart bitches do to promote great books, warn about the bad ones, and also make me laugh even on crappy days at work. Katie, it is our pleasure. Thank you for this joke. Are you ready for this wonderful joke? Katie has provided most excellent jokeage here. You guys ready? Okay. Why don't they play poker in the jungle? Why don't they play poker in the jungle? Too many cheetahs. I've been test driving these jokes on my 12-year-old because, you know, if anyone can appreciate terrible humor, it's a 12-year-old. Um, this one made him laugh and then groan and then laugh. So I am considering this a fine, fine vintage bad joke. Thank you, Katie. And thank you to Sarah Morgan for joining me. On behalf of everyone here, including Orville, whose tail just hit the sound box. I'm sure that you heard that. Yep. Thank, thank you, Orville. We wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. We will see you here next week. <laughs>